But when, when Dr. Bloom called me and told me the, the physical things he was going through, I just happened to remember the story of a, a pastor who had spent a, a whole week, you know, nothing went right, everything went wrong, and he was stressed out and stressed out, and finally Sunday came, and the service began, and then came time for him to get up to the pulpit and preach his sermon. His sermon was terrible, he couldn't put it all together, and so when he got to the pulpit, he looked around at the congregation and says, all right, all of you who think you're idiots, please stand. Nobody, he looked around, nobody stood, nobody stood. And finally, a young lady over here stood and, she, and he said, aha, missus, what makes you think you're an idiot? And she said, pastor, I don't think I'm an idiot. I just hated to see you standing by yourself. Tonight I want to talk about uh, the title is My Pursuit of God, and if you would turn with me to Psalm 42. Psalm 42, and this is one of the, the great Psalms of David that I like, and uh, you'll see some of it as we go through here. And uh, I was told I cannot preach after midnight, so uh, we'll see how it goes here. I, I'm, I have an Amish background, and so we are used to uh, you know, sundials, you know, so we might not be able to know the perfect time. Psalm 42, as the heart, that would be a deer, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and from the Hermonites, from the hill of Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. So I want to ask you a question. How would you evaluate your pursuit of God? Let us pray. Father, in heaven, we thank you so much for all that you have given to me. And by the way, Father, we lift up our, our brother pastor and ask, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen him during this week. And we look forward to having him come back next Sunday. But Father, tonight I pray that you would speak to us in a way that we need to be spoken to and that we leave this sanctuary tonight thirsting for the living God. I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. When I was a young person, in, in, and I was at one time young, <laughs> when I was a young person in high school, my great ambition was to be writing, to be a writer. And my, my uh, author that I loved so very much at that time was Ernest Hemingway. He had my, my, my birthday, July 21st, 
And I read everything that he had, all the biographies, all of his notes, and uh, his last book, he didn't see published, but his daughter published it, and it was called uh, A Movable Feast. And I started every year reading A Movable Feast. And, and it was, it was uh, uh, Hemingway that was inspiring me and fueling my pursuit, pursuit of writing. One of the things I learned from Hemingway is this. When he was going over a manuscript, if a, a sentence or a phrase popped out, he would stop and he would take that sentence and phrase and he would take it away. Now, the, the sentence may have been perfectly grammatical, but what he was saying was this here. That phrase is taken away from the story. And the story that I'm writing about isn't that phrase. And it ha didn't have to be wrong. It just had to be something that was diverting the attention of his book. And so that was a very, very important thing to me. And uh, my life was about to change. My, my family, my, my mother and father, were the first converts in a new church that was planted in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. I was six, they were the first con converts, and uh, we sort of grew up in that church, and I would go as a teenager, I would drive, and I would go to the back, and I would climb the stairs to the, the sanctuary, okay? And I remember one time I was climbing the stairs and the top were the two retired missionary ladies. They were missionaries in China. And as I climbed, they were looking at me and smiling and holding a book. And when I got up there, they said, we understand that you really love to read. I said, yes, I do, ma'am. Thank you. We, would let, we want to give you this book. We think this book is going to change your life. And I said, oh, thank you very much. And then we went into the, the sanctuary. The next Sunday, I was climbing the stairs again, and guess who was standing at the top of the stairs? These two ladies. And when I got up there, they said, did you read the book? How did you like the book? And I said, I'm sorry, I had school all week, and I have a part-time job after school, and on Saturdays, I didn't read it. The next Sunday, the same thing. The next Sunday, the same thing. Finally, I sat myself down and had a good talk with myself, and I said, listen, if you don't want to every Sunday talk with these people about the book, why don't you just read a chapter? And so I listened to myself for the very first time. And the next Sunday I went in and as I was climbing, there they were and I was smiling. And they said, you read the book, didn't you? I said, yes, I did. I loved it. I read the whole book. And that was the beginning of my pursuit of God because it was A.W. Tozer that pushed me in that direction to pursuing God. And the pursuit of God was the book that really pulled me away from Ernest Hemingway, if you please, and into the life of A.W. Tozer. And so I graduated from high school. I went to an independent Baptist uh, institution up in uh, New York, just south, uh, southeast of Rochester, called Elohim Bible Institute. And I met my wife there. Well, she wasn't my wife at the time, you know. Uh, but I met somebody who became my wife. And then after we graduated, we went over to Stamford, New York in December 1973. This week is the 50th anniversary of our going into the ministry. And we started there.
And as I was doing my ministry, I, I, I just collected everything I could about A.W. Tozer. Anybody who knew anything about Tozer, I was at their door. And, and, and I talked to Ray McAfee, which was the assistant pastor to, to uh, uh, A.W. Tozer. And one of my close friends was uh, uh, Paris Reedhead, who was a personal friend of A.W. Tozer. And back then we didn't have the internet, so I couldn't uh, do all of that kind of stuff. I had to do it in person. And I collected, and then, then I got to thinking, where is there a biography of A.W. Tozer? And I couldn't find any. There was one biography, but the first chapter was a biographical essay, and the rest of it was, uh, you know, things about A.W. Tozer. And so I, I sent a letter to Christian Publications, which was our publishing house at the time, and they did all of Tozer's books and so forth, and I said, I would like to do a biography of A.W. Tozer. And they wrote me back and says, we do not believe there is a market for a Tozer biography. And I thought, man, how crazy can you be? And so what I did, I, I wrote some articles for magazines uh, about A.W. Tozer. The biggest one was the Fundamentalist Journal. That was by Jerry Falwell. And they published it. And, and finally, I got a call from them. And they said, well, you know, we've been thinking about this. And we think that maybe there might be uh, a market for a Tozer biography. But, don't you like the buts in life? But you're not the one to write it. I never went to a, a high class Bible college or seminary or anything. You're not the one to do it. And then they said this here. We will give you $1,500 for all of your research material on A.W. Tozer. And so I went to talk to my friend Paris Reedhead. And one of the things Paris Reed had said to me was this. He said, you know, Brother Snyder, God has his hooks in you for A.W. Tozer. I didn't know what he was talking about. I thought maybe the biography. And so I asked him, should I, I take the money and, and, and give them all my material? And he told me something very important. Are you in it for the message or for the money? And so I turned down $1,500. And at that time, I was making $95 a week, you know. And, and $1,500 would have been a great, great amount of money. And so finally, I, I wrote back to them and says, okay, if you don't want to publish it, I'll go to another publisher. And so finally, they got back to me and, and they published it. And uh, that was like 1990. And in 1992, Christianity Today, that was a big magazine back then. Christianity Today made that my biography of A.W. Tozer the Reader's Choice Award for 1992. That was the only book that that publishing house ever got a reward for. It, there wasn't a market for it, and I wasn't the one to write it. You know, I, uh, you know God does amazing things. And so uh, I, I did a couple other books, Tozer books for them. And uh, then we moved down here to Florida, and uh, I went to a writer's conference, a uh, Christian writer's conference, and one of the leaders there, uh, her name was Beverly, and she was an editor at one of the publishing houses up in, Christian public in, publishing houses up in Gainesville. And she said, maybe you want to do a, a book with him. And so she connected me with him, and I think I did two Tozer books with them, and I was very, very happy. And then I got the letter. Did you ever get the letter? And I was in the, in the process of being, being uh, sued. And they said the publishing house that did my biography 
They said, we own A.W. Tozer, and you have no right to publish a book by a, uh, of A.W. A. Tozer. And so I, you know, I said, God, I thought this is what you wanted me to do. And so I wrote a letter in which I turned back and re rebuted all of my, my uh, royalties, everything. I turned them back to them, and I promised in that letter that I would never even mention the Tozer word in public again. And I was very heartbroken. So we had a phone conference set up. They didn't have uh, Zoom meetings back then. A phone conference, and I went, walked in. As soon as I walked in, the secretary came, and this was in Gainesville. The secret secretary came and says, oh, Brother Snyder, we, I don't know what to tell you. We had to cancel the meeting because the publisher here is in sick in bed, and he's never been sick a day in his life, and we don't understand it. And so I left and I went to St. Augustine for a couple of days and said, God, I thought this is what you wanted. Can you sort things out for me? And then when I went home, this editor called me and said, listen, what you need is a literary agent. I have a friend of mine who's a literary agent who owes me a favor. Would you mind if I talk to him about you? What am I going to say? No. <laughs> and so in about a week, he called me and over the phone, we made it a, a contract and I signed it when he sent it to me. And uh, so he became my my agent. He's the number one literary agent in America today. And he got me a, a, a contract with it was Regal Books back then. Regal Books. I had a four book contract with them and also out there was uh, a Tozer son and I got acquainted with him and so I had four books there and then I got a letter from the Tozer son who said he's part of he's the administrator of the Tozer estate and they had given me all of the rights of A.W. Tozer's uh, audio tapes I have today about 600 of them. They gave them to me. And then later, Baker House bought out uh, Regal Books. And uh, let's see, uh, this, this week I received the 29th Tozer book from Baker House. And I sent in two weeks ago the 30th. And then I just started the 31st book, you know. And in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all of that, guess what happened? That publishing house that was after me, they went bankrupt. They no longer anymore. They went bankrupt. And, and, and the thing that interests me is this here, why wouldn't they just work with me, you know? But, but God sometimes, and this is what I want to talk about, God sometimes sends us through very difficult times. And one of the things that I, I learned about A.W. Tozer was this. He said this, make a vow never to defend yourself and keep that vow the rest of your life. I didn't quite understand what that meant until that publishing house was going to sue me and, and take away everything. And you know, sometimes when you lay things on the altar, God gives them back to you. Tozer inspired my pursuit of God, and he whetted my appetite for God like nobody else did. And my pursuit of God 
is the focus of my life today. And there are several things about this that I want to talk about. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 42. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. And the first thing that I need to understand is the passion of my pursuit. In his book, The, in, the, the Pursuit of God, Tozer inspired a passion for God. With, with uh, Hemingway, it was a passion to write. This was a little bit different, a passion for God. And, and pursuit, the, the definition of pursuit is interesting. It's the act of following or searching for someone or something in order to catch or attack the person or thing. The pursuit, the pursuit of God is to catch God. The pursuit of God is to find him. And the source of, of that passion is two things. Either it's a fleshly appetite or it is a spiritual appetite. The fleshly appetite is temporal and it leads us away from God. But the spiritual appetite leads us away from the world and onto God. And when I am pursuing God, when I have a passion for God, nothing, nothing, nothing gets in the way of my pursuit. Look at verse 2. I love verse 2. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Can you hear the passion in, to, in, in David's tone as he's talking about this? A pursuit of God. An insatiable appetite for God. I can't get enough of God. That's what he's talking about. Not occasional. Not occasional. It's, it's, uh, it's either all or nothing. And today we have occasional Christians, and some of them can't even come to church. You know, when I retired, I was looking around for a church. I had a ministry over at Brookdale Sunday morning, and I was looking around for Sunday night and Wednesday night. Do you know how many churches I found that have Sunday night and Wednesday night churches? Not very many. So I had to come here and, and bug you guys because there's no other place. How is a Christian how is a Christian able to get to the point where they have no more thirst for God? That automatically tells me something's wrong with them. And this passion controls my life. And this passion identifies who I am. I am a follower of Christ. One day, A.W. Tozer was a speaker at one of the conferences, summer conferences that he went to all the time. And he was to speak one night he had spoken, you know, throughout the week. And one night he was uh, scheduled to speak and he never showed up. And they had to put someone at the last minute to fill his place. So the next day they, they went and found that A.W. Tozer, all that day before, he was on his face before God. And he told them, I had a more important engagement, a more important engagement. With A.W. Tozer, there was nothing more important than his passion for God. And this is what I need to have in my life, don't you? A passion for God that nobody can take away. Nobody. And so the passion of my pursuit, I have a thirst, I have a hunger for the things of God. And then the second thing is the process of my pursuit. Again, look at verse 1. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. What is the process? 
When, when a deer, a thirsty deer, goes looking for water, just a drop of water isn't going to satisfy him. He, he needs to have the whole thing or nothing at all. And, and I think my passion for God has to have a process of getting to, getting to him and knowing him and experiencing him in a way that nothing else really matters. With that deer, nothing, nothing uh, come between him and that water brook that he was looking for. That was the focus of his life. Can I ask you something? What is the focus of your life? What is the real focus of your life? And my friend told me many years ago, what is more important to you, the message or being, uh, you know, qualified to be the, the one who gives the message? What about you? Do you have such a hunger for God that nothing matters? And, and, and he, that, that, that deer will risk anything and everything for that. They won't risk anything for a drop. A drop doesn't satisfy you. It may be pure, clean water, but a drop will not satisfy you. And this deer had an insatiable thirst for water, and, and insatiable means it's impossible to satisfy with anything else. And the process of my pursuit is I'm going on and on and on and on. And our passion for God is progressive. It's ongoing, and my progress is challenged every step of the way. You know, the devil knows that. And the devil likes to put in a diversion. Have you ever gone to a magic show? You know, th those magic things, if you know how they did them, it wouldn't seem very interesting, you know. And, uh, but a magic trick is they have to get you focused over here so that they can do something over here. Where did they get that? From their father, the devil. That's where they got it. That's what the devil wants to do. He knows you have a passion for God, but he's going to stir up something over here that's going to take your attention away. It doesn't have to be very far, but he goes this way, and then, then next time it's, it's this way, and pretty soon you're going in the wrong direction. And I need to have a progressiveness in my pursuit of God. And the more I experience God, the more I desire him. Remember Jacob's ladder in, in the book of Genesis? That, that ladder went up and down, you remember that? And what, what, what God is trying to tell us, what he was telling Jacob was this here, that uh, we can go up to God, but also God can come down to us. There is a passion to experience God, and it is progressive. And whatever compromises my pursuit of God is my enemy and must be dealt with. And that's where I bring in Hemingway into this, that if, if there's something there that's taken away from the story, cut it out, cut it out. And I think of Abraham and Isaac, remember, remember them. Do you know how old Abraham one, was when Isaac was born? He was 100 years old. Sarah was only 90. How many 90 year old ladies do we have in here that wants to give birth to a baby, you know? And, and here, here was, here was the prime of Abraham's life. And God taps Abraham on the shoulders, Abraham, you know that son you just had? Probably 15 years since he was born. God says, I want you to take your son and I want, to want you to take him up a hill where I'm gonna show you and I want you to offer him on the altar. Can you imagine 
what Abraham was going through. The fact that Abraham did that tells us what kind of a man he was. He will not, would not, never allow even Isaac to come between him and God. I don't know, you have an Isaac. My Isaac was the Tozer books. And when, when Abraham walked up that hill, I think there was a sorrow in his heart knowing that he was gonna lay his son on that altar. But when he came down, he had a different Isaac. <laughs> he had a different, because Isaac now was not the center of his life, God was. And sometimes God needs us to get rid of something that's uh, defecting our attention from what he is. And that's uh, the process, we grow. I don't, I don't know if Abraham could have done it uh, when he was uh, 90 or 60 or 50, I don't know. But he did it, and he had a, had a passion for God. And so the, the passion of my pursuit creates the progressiveness of my pursuit. But then the last thing is the purpose of my pursuit. Look at verse two. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The deer's focus was on the water brooks. The, 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 he, had a, he had a passion. He was panting for that water brooks and his focus was on the water, and nothing else mattered. His life depended on it. He had an insatiable thirst for water. If he would not have gotten the water, he would have died. Do you understand, do I understand, that if I don't get God, I die, I die. I need to have him in all of my life. And the purpose, and here's where I'm gonna get a little, little troubled, I guess, but the purpose is to be focused on eternity. But the eternity that we're focused on is not from a human perspective. Have you heard of these people who died and went to heaven? And they saw this and that. One guy saw all kinds of mansions. Man, if I die and go to heaven and have to live in a mansion, I'm not gonna be too happy. <laughs> I don't even wanna live in a mansion here. There ain't no mansions. Oh, but don't you remember uh, in my father's house are many mansions? But that Greek word has to do with abiding places. And so when I get to heaven, the focus of heaven is not a mansion. The focus of heaven is not this or that or the other. The focus of heaven is Jesus Christ. And when I get to heaven, that's gonna be my focus. And I, I'm, I'm working on it now. I'm working on it now. And it's not the world. I like these songs, with eternity's values in view, Lord, with eternity's values in view. May I do each day's work for Jesus with eternity's values in view. Don't you like that song? Here's another one I like. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I saw a little documentary, well, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, about uh, Howard Hughes. Remember Howard Hughes? A millionaire, he had so money and so forth and so on. And uh, if, if my research is right, he's in hell. What, t you, you tell me this here. What is the currency of hell? What, 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 what is the currency of hell? You can't take anything to hell, but you can take things to heaven as you send them on ahead, you see. And so what is the currency of heaven? It is your works of faith that you do for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm not gonna take my money, you know. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to die broke, you know what I mean? Why should I die with a million dollars in the bank, you know? Well, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. You see, what is my focus? My focus is heaven. And it's not the heaven that is being portrayed by the world. We are trying to understand it. For example, uh, Noah and the flood. We try to understand Noah and the flood by human reasoning. Well, it couldn't happen like this and it couldn't happen like that. Well, maybe, just, just maybe think about this. Maybe God was behind the flood. Maybe God was the one in charge. Let me ask you this, how did Moses part the Red Sea? Was that some kind of a, a magical thing? How did Jesus walk on water? Was that kind of a human thing? What about turning the water into wine? You see, what we need to understand is we cannot understand the scriptures through a human understanding. It is God that's doing these things, and it is God that gets the correct. Well. I'm starving for God, starving for God. Nothing but God can satisfy, nothing. Yeah, and, and we see even some of these Christians, I don't understand it. Maybe you can help me. I've only been a Baptist two years, <laughs> okay? So maybe, maybe you can help me understand. Why don't Christians need to come to church anymore? Can you answer me that question? Why don't, why don't they come? Do you know why? Because they're not authentic Christians. One of my books that I just wrote for, for A.W. Tozer was uh, uh, The Authentic Christian. And, and we don't have too many authentic Christians. I, I like to think sometimes of the ten virgins. If the ten virgins were to walk in here right now, we could not tell the, the good from the bad. Not one. They looked alike. They talked alike. They had the same accent. They had the same clothes. Everything. But one had oil, and five had oil, and five didn't have oil. Now what about you? Are you positively beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're born again and you're ready to meet the Lord in the air? Are you sure about that? Or, you know, what we have done in America is we have Christianized everything, and if you just add, in, you know, in Jesus' name, it's okay. And uh, it doesn't work that way. There's some of you in here tonight that you think you're born again because you go to a church that preaches that and teaches that and, and, and you agree with their doctrine and everything. But I bet there's one person in here tonight that really hasn't made an authentic commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know who you are, you know, but God does. I think of uh, one of my favorite guys was Alexander White. He was a, a Scottish uh, preacher back in Scotland, and uh, he had D.L. Moody come over for a, a, a meeting, you know, a revival meeting, and many people were saved and so forth. And after the meeting, somebody came up to Alexander White and said, do you know, there's been people saying that they're not sure that D.L. Moody is a Christian. What, Alexander White said? And he went on, if he's not a Christian, and, and he is a Christian, la, la, la. And then when he quieted down, they said, and you know the same people are saying, they, they're not sure if you're a Christian. Alexander White went quiet. He said, leave me alone. I want to go check my heart. When, when, when was the last time you checked your heart? When was the last time 
you checked your passion for God. Is it growing? Is it growing? Is it growing? We need to be very, very much concerned about that. And look at, look at verse 7. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. You know, my friend, God wants to cover you with all of his grace. And, and one of the phrases that I like of A.W. Tozer is, uh, if you want to prove that a stick is crooked, lay a straight one beside it. And if you want to prove that, that some people are wrong, don't go up and, and shake your finger in their face. Live a life that they can't explain. Live a life that, that enhances them. How do you do that? What's, what's different about you? And all of that kind of stuff. Because if you go after the crooked stick, it'll be crooked when you're finished. But if you put down the straight stick, God can use you. And, and that, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be very, very surprised by the people that we have influenced, not knowing that we were even influencing them. But I want to close with this here. I want to have a passion. I want to have a passion. I can't get enough of God. I can't get enough of God. And I need to have a passionate pursuit of God. And that's the absolute goal of my life every day. When I get up in the morning tomorrow, I want to pursue God. Here's a closing hymn. I'll just do the chorus. Moment by moment I'm kept in his love. Moment by moment I've life from above. Looking to Jesus till glory does shine. Moment by moment, O oh Lord, I am thine. Can you sing that hymn and mean it, you see? You know why most churches aren't singing hymns? Because they don't mean it. They don't believe it, you know? Uh, how can you go to church and not sing a hymn? You know, I, I don't understand how that goes. Will you get up tomorrow morning passionately searching for God? How is God going to touch your life? Every time I come here, I say, Father, give me a word tonight. And, and he usually does. Tonight he won't because I'm busy doing other things, I guess. But when I go somewhere, Lord, you speak to me. Lord, give me a word. Lord, do something in my life. And when that begins to happen, I will never, ever, ever come to the end because Jesus Christ is the same in the beginning to the end, yesterday, today, forever. And once I get into him, I'm going to have something that I can never explain. And, and I'll, I'll close with this here. If somebody can explain you as a Christian, you're not a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, they're going to look at you, why does he do that? Why does she do that? God is the mysterious power in my life that gives me a passion to pursue him and progressively allows that pursuit and then reminds me of the purpose. One of these days, one of these days, I'm going to close my eyes and when I open it, there will be the face of the Lord Jesus Christ.
I'm looking forward to that day when I go to sleep at night and, and, and my, my prayer in the pillow, this could be my last night. It could be my last night. And I want to live every day as though it's my last day. What about you? You want to put your passion to use in following the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's stand for a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, take this word tonight. Burn it deep, deep in our hearts. Oh God, that we might leave tonight with a, with a passion that we can't even control. A passion for God. I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.